0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning because I really believe that the Word of God is the power of God to save. That's what the scripture says. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel as the word is the, the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe. So as we look at the word of God, I want to have that as an understanding that God's given us what we need to have the, the victory that he's called us to have. I mean, we all have areas in our life where we want to win. Uh, I'm I'm pretty competitive. I've I've had a chance to uh, uh, engage in some activities with some of you and I know that some of you are really competitive. Like I'm praying for Rodney because I mean, we played dominoes one time, and I just thought, my gosh, this guy takes his dominoes really, really seriously, you know. Uh, But you you know what it's like to want to win. You want to, to win. Everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to suffer loss or what the world would call failure. I mean, there's just a drive inside of every person, and some people have that drive at a higher level than others, but God's given us everything we need to win. And I like to get into the Scripture because I believe every time we do, we're becoming greater equipped with the things we need in order to win. I want to give you a few things we're going to find here in the Word. Uh, One, we're going to find what God accomplished through the cross. I mean, a little bit of a a Resurrection Day theme here as we are are all mindful of the crucifixion and the resurrection because of the calendar and the days that we celebrate. Uh, I love what uh, uh, was spoken a couple of weeks ago that for the Christian, every day is Resurrection Day, you know we do celebrate uh, uh, on the calendar, and I think it's important to, uh, to take a look at what God accomplished through the cross. That's going to be one thing that we find. In fact, it's going to be several things. Uh, an- another thing that we uh, are going to find is what God accomplished through the resurrection. Now, anytime we do, you know, lists like this or things like that, th- they're never absolute. I mean, there may be other things in the Scripture that are are accomplished through the resurrection or through the cross that are are in the word. But we're going to look at a few things that stood out and uh, and we're going to identify what God has done on our behalf. A third thing that we're going to find is what's needed for rejoicing. Now rejoicing is kind of a a Bible word, right? I mean, I remember the word rejoice a lot in some of the old songs that we would sing when I was a kid in different church settings. Uh, It seems to be a word that's kind of uh, maybe... Fallen out of style with the times. I mean, when was the last time you used the word rejoice? Maybe in a Christmas card or something where you were writing something seemingly timeless, you know? I mean, I don't go home and it's my kid's birthday and say, Hey, rejoice! It's your birthday. You know, it's just, it's not something I say. Uh, but really, I, I almost wanted to say, you know, what's needed in order to celebrate. We use that word. You know, hey, it's a celebration, celebrate, So. So for us today, let's use the word celebrate. If it's a little more common word in your vocabulary, we're going to find out what's needed in order to, to celebrate because I think we could all use more celebration in our life. I know I, I can. not I find that I'm getting old. One, because I complain about gas prices, but everybody's complaining about gas prices now, right? I mean, my goodness. And then two, you know, I, I, I find myself talking to the television or talking to the radio. That's got to be an indication of something, right? Like, hey, buddy, you're, you're, you're getting old or something's falling apart, you know, you're losing it because it's not going to talk back, right? So uh, I realize there's a need for celebration in my life because there's a lot of provocation to be frustrated. I mean, really and truly, if I sit and listen to the news and sit and listen to the radio, I, I can find myself in such a foul mood that I'm undesirable even to, to like, my family. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'll go home, and you know, I've mentioned it before, but we have a, a, a saying, I mean, my wife does, she has a lot of sayings, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm good for provoking sayings, right? Uh, but one of them is, hey, let's, let's talk about spaghetti. That just means anything but this, you know, because I'll come home loaded for bear, you know, oh, I heard the news, blah, 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 and she just, say, hey, let's talk about spaghetti. So we have a lot of conversations about spaghetti at my house. It's a hot topic, uh, but there's a need for uh, this, for celebration. There's such a provocation to draw us into frustration or, or, or anger or disappointment or, or just general uh, discontent. And, and I want to find out what's needed for celebration so that I can keep that a, a fixture in my life so that we don't suffer a, a lack of celebration. Okay, so what God accomplished through the cross. I mentioned we were going to find that. Let's start there. If You have your Bibles. I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, I want to look at, at verses uh, 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 53. So I miss the sound of turning pages, you know. You got apps and things today, the crinkling of pages. You hear, you hear that? There's Nothing quite like that sound. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a a very interesting chapter in the scripture in that it is is very revealing of things to come for Jesus, the crucifixion. In fact, there are certain chapters from Isaiah that there are restrictions uh, in how they're read in Jewish culture, uh, mainly because it's thought that if somebody were to read these chapters they could fall into deception and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? That's how profoundly accurate these prophecies are concerning the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So you get to Isaiah 53 here, and if your Bible has titles here, it, you, this title is probably something along the lines of the suffering servant. Uh, now, those titles are, are fabricated you know, by men in order just to help the, the Scripture be organized uh, for us to know what we're reading, but that's, that's a good description of the content here. Now, if you get to, to verse, chapter, or verse 4 in chapter 53, that's where I want to begin. Now, remember, what we're going to look for here is what God accomplished through the cross. I would encourage you to read all of Isaiah chapter 53 in your own time. It would make for a, a very excellent devotional time. But here, for the sake of the message here, we're only going to read a few passages. So, Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4. We're looking for what God accomplished through the cross. It reads like this, Surely our griefs he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The the chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But God the Father has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Jesus. I mean, if somebody were asking me, Preston, what did did God accomplish at the cross? I would give that last line as my answer. And I think it would be pretty hard to make an argument against that. What did God accomplish at the cross? He caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Jesus. All of your sin, all of your corruption, every corrupt or nasty thought or activity or word spoken, every idea, everything that is absolutely foul and unclean from every single person fell upon Jesus. I mean, there's a reason for the cross, and we have to, to realize this. I mean, I remember as a, a new believer, I'd just been born again. God delivered me from some really awful things. I had a, a massive alcohol addiction, was a very introverted person, lived out in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and was just in a mode of self-destruction. And God set me free in, in a very miraculous and powerful way. I, I, I became a Christian and was so on fire for the things of God, was reading the scripture and began to realize things, things that I never even thought to ask before that that were coming off of the page. And one of those things was, was why the cross? I mean, Jesus even asked, right? I mean, if you, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but once Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, he says this to God, God, if there's any other way, let's go that route. But, But not what I want, but what you want. And I mean, he asks this multiple times through, through the gospel's account of multiple uh, accounts there. If there's any other way, then please let's do that. So that tells me something. That tells me that there was absolutely no other way. If this is necessary, if, if there's no other options, if it's not like God just kind of spun the wheel and, like, well, let's just see what we're going to decide on here the cross. It's not how it went down. This is a very intentional and powerful thing. And and there's reasons throughout the scripture we could spend weeks discussing why, but a couple of things are important to understand and know. It had to happen. So if somebody were then asking, well, why? Why did it have to happen? Well, first and foremost, because God is just. He, He cannot turn a blind eye to sin or corruption. When there is sin and corruption, a price must be paid. And the only one who could pay the price and come out of the grave is Jesus. He's the only one that could do it. And we may touch on that here in a bit. So Jesus is sent by God to take all of our sin, all of our corruption, all that is nasty in us upon himself. This is what God accomplished at the cross. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture that reveal the corruption that he took upon himself. Now, there's, there's really great liberty in these passages of Scripture as we read them because they reveal to us the things that God has, has purged from our lives and, and that Jesus carried himself. I want to give you a few of these. Uh, one of these would be uh, sickness, which sickness ultimately results in death. We've all known people that have been touched by by sickness or disease in one way, shape, or form. We've known people who have passed away, and oftentimes we can wrestle with the idea of, well, why did that person pass away? The reality is death is, is an enemy of ours, and death will be done away with in the end. Now, this is a hard thing when you know it because it affects how you see and hear a lot of things in Christianity. I mean, uh, we, we even have a, a song that we'll sing in church every now and then right here. And I love the song. Uh, one of the lines in the song is that death is just a doorway. Well, that's not true. But I kind of leave that line out. I just kind of pray in the spirit there, and then I jump back in and start singing afterward, you know. Because Jesus said, I'm the door. Anyone who enters in outside of the door, which is me, Jesus, is, is cheating. They're jumping the fence. So, you know, the idea that, that there's some partnership with death is, is bizarre because the Scripture says death is our enemy. Paul wrote and said that uh, death is the, the enemy, our enemy, and he's the last enemy that will be defeated. You can see in the book of Re- Revelation, excuse me, that death will be cast into the lake of fire. So death isn't just an idea or, or something that happens when someone passes away, whether death is an entity or a being. So for us as believers, when we engage and encounter death in the Scripture, we need to understand that this isn't talking about passing away. This is talking about having to give account to an entity or a being that is identified as death. And because of sin and corruption in our lives, we were all indebted to death. He had a claim on our lives. I mean, oftentimes we can consider the the power of of Christianity, you know, and the promise of eternal life, and we can ask ourselves, where did that come from? I mean, is eternal life just kind of the best reward we could think of in order to promote our product, right? I mean, you hear promises be attached to products all the time. I mean, I listen to the radio, and someone will tell me, well, if you take this product, you'll never have pain again, right? So that's, that's a pretty nice promise, right? Or, or, you know, hey, if you'll use this product, you, you'll look really handsome, and I need a lot of that product. I mean, there's just there's a tremendous uh, amount of marketing here, and you have to ask yourself, is eternal life just a marketing ploy for Christianity? where hey, we want to get a lot of people in our camp with our belief system, so what's the most incredibly powerful, uh, rewarding promise we could make? Ooh, I've got an idea. Let's, let's let them know that if they join our group, that they'll live forever. That's a heck of a promise, right? And for the longest time, I just saw eternal life as kind of the benefit of being a Christian, but I never understood how it worked. But when you begin to read the scripture, you begin to see it makes perfect sense. I mean, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin or the result of sin is death. So through the cross, if we have freedom and liberation from sin, if sin is removed from our life, if holiness enters in, then the result should then be the absence of death. The reality that Jesus came out of the grave shouldn't shock anyone. I mean, really and truly, the the miracle is that he ever went in in the first place. There's a reason why the scripture said that he yielded up his spirit. Why did he have to choose to let his spirit go? Because death had no claim on him. He had no sin. But for you and for me, before Jesus, on the other hand, we owed death. We had participated in corruption. We had cheated. We had slandered. We had gossiped. We had sinned. We had fornicated. And you put it on the list. And we had done it and done it more than once. And we're probably planning on doing it again. He had a claim on us. So to accomplish something miraculous, to bring holiness into your life and into my life, God sends Jesus to the cross so that all of our corruption would fall on Him. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 reveals one of those elements, and it's identified as sickness. If you have an amplified Bible, you'll see it very clearly. If you don't, you may have to look for a literal translation there. It reads like this in verse 10. It was the Lord's good pleasure, or it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief. The literal translation of putting him to grief is made him sick. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring, he would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's speaking of Jesus taking on this corruption that belongs to us, even though it has no claim on him, and that ultimately the result would be that he would conquer it. Jesus became the curse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It reads like this, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, just as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come into our lives, me and you, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I mean, the blessing of Abraham is a wonderful thing to look at. You can study the life of Abraham. You can see the blessing of God upon it. Anytime I see blessing in the scripture promised or imparted into my life or your life, I think of the blessings listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 28 contrasts blessing and the absence of blessing. And let me tell you, you don't want to be on the absent side. But on the blessing side in Deuteronomy 28, which I would recommend, you know, you, you, you read and review it in your own time, you see these wonderful benefits. And I mean, some of them seem so small, but yet they're so exciting and desirable. I mean, one of them is just being blessed in your basket. That's kind of funny, Right? but it means like good deals just come your way. That's a really great and incredible and powerful thing to have be a part of your life. It's just interesting to see the number of things that are affected when blessing is imparted into a person's life. And by the way, that was one of many listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So Jesus was made sick with our sickness. He was made the curse for the curse that was, was put upon the earth by our rebellion. And then Jesus became sin with our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 reads like this. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. So based on these three scriptures, I see three things being nailed to the cross as Jesus is going to the cross. The only way, when he even said, if there's any other way, let's go the other way. The only way. There's three things in these passages of scripture that are being nailed to that cross as the nails go through the hands of Jesus Christ. Sickness and all of its corruptions being nailed to the cross. The curse and all of its frustration being nailed to the cross. And then you could see the the fulfillment of, of, of all the prophecy that we would be redeemed from sin and corruption as sin is being nailed to the cross. So what did God accomplish through the cross? Well, we see that God caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. The result of all of our corruption, all of its resulting decay, ruin, and death fell upon Jesus. And when it had fallen upon him, when it was all complete, he cried out, it's finished. It's all on me now. He yielded up his spirit, he gave up his life, and there he he died. The one that death had no claim on died. What a powerful miracle. What a display of a willful, loving act for you. For me to die without Jesus wouldn't be a willful act because death would have a claim on my life. But for him to give up his life for you is a willful act to choose to release his life so that you might live. Now, what did God accomplish through the resurrection? Well, we know through the, the cross, he nailed to the cross the sickness and the curse, and that he nailed to the cross sin. Now we see the, the empty tomb and the resurrection I want to look at what God accomplished through the resurrection. It is, uh, after all, resurrection day. Uh, If you have your your Bibles there, you can go to the the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, I want to look at verse 4. Romans 1, 4. Romans 1, 4 reads like this. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. I'm going to read it again because it's important that we we catch what's being said here. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Let me just offer a couple thoughts to you as we read that. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another good teacher. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another mighty prophet. I mean, you can read through the scripture, there were prophets that performed signs and wonders before Jesus. He could go down in history as as just another one of them, but it's the resurrection that sets Jesus Christ apart, and based on the scripture we just read, declares his identity as the Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, our Savior. Jesus was declared the Son of God by the power of the resurrection. But it's important for us to understand this because when we understand this, we can understand why it's so important for us to include the resurrection in our faith. I mean, there's no doubt that identifying that Jesus exists or existed or however you would want to say it, uh, for me, it's exists, but for much of the world, it's existed. For, for, For all of the world, you can identify the life and the effects of Jesus because of the impact made in in all of history in all of humanity i mean he's literally the most recorded life ever there's no denying his existence there's no denying his teaching there's no denying his impact and his effects it's it's part of our history it cannot be erased though many will try but his resurrection is necessary for our new birth For our entering into his kingdom, for our stepping away and acknowledging his liberation from all of the corruption, all of the sin, all of the captivity, and all of those things that were once drawing us into darkness, identifying his resurrection is absolutely necessary for us to step into our lives as believers. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Romans. Romans chapter 10, you can look at verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that that if we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God, God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. For it is with your mouth that you confess and are justified, and it's with your heart that you believe and you're saved. And we're talking about saved not in the salvation that God brings every day into our lives. We're talking about the, the, the act of ransom, that being rescued from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. We're talking about when we became born again. That power of confession that Jesus is Lord is an important and necessary part of that. That it would be something that would be declared and understood. But then the amazing thing to me is what is believed in your heart. It doesn't say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he's the Son of God or believe in your heart that he existed or believe in your heart that he does miracles or believe in your heart that he forgives sin. It says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The message of resurrection is one of the the most uh, assaulted messages throughout the scripture. When you would see the disciples put in chains, They would give account and they would say, I am here on trial today for preaching the resurrection from the dead. Everyone likes the message of someone who goes around helping people, right? I mean, that's the message of Gandhi. That's the message of Mother Teresa. That's the messages that we we all love because they're warm and they're fuzzy. They're totally hallmark. I mean, it's the stuff that you could fill greeting cards with. But the rubber meets the road. At the tomb. Is it full or is it empty? And for us as believers, our our faith, the foundation of all that we we hold in our hearts as true, is, is dependent upon the reality and the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead. The result of that is that disappearing of death and its claim. Because of the washing away of sin and corruption. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I mentioned before, death is our enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And you'll see death cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Jesus speaks, and he speaks in Revelation chapter 1 in verse 18. He says, Do not be afraid. Now, I want to stop there for a second. I know I, I, I probably do this too often, and it's going to sound pretty familiar, but I think it's important because I'd like us to have a really accurate image, uh, awareness of Jesus and his power and authority. I grow weary of timid, effeminate Jesus, right? And you know what I'm talking about. You see pictures and images where the guy looks very malnourished, and and. You know, I mean, so Jesus is the kind of guy, when he steps into the room and starts talking, he has to open his conversation with, do not be afraid. I like this guy. Do not be afraid. That's kind of one of my goals in life. When I walk in a room, I want the first thing I need to say is, hey, 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 it's okay, I won't hurt you. Don't be afraid. I'm nice. Yeah. He says, do not be afraid. I I am the first and the last I'm the living one. I was dead. Let me tell you something. That's an important thing. I mean, all the stuff we underline in our Bibles, what a powerful few words to underline. I was, past tense, dead. But behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death in Hades. Why would he have the keys? I mean, what would have taken place that would give him the keys? Or could it be because he took upon himself, as was written in Isaiah, the iniquity of us all, that he took all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of the corruption of the curse, and he took that down to hell. He got the keys, and he came back out of the tomb, leaving in his wake all of the things that he took with him in the first place, our sin, our corruption from the curse our sickness and disease. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 uh, through 57, they read like this. They speak about death and death losing its potency and its power. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and its power is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, victory. Remember, that's kind of what we set out to. We spoke about the word of God. The word of God being the power of God to bring victory. I want to see our lives victorious in everything we do. We can look at this line here as this passage of Scripture begins to close out. It ends with gratitude. Thanks be to God who gives us victory, meaning all the victory in my life is a gift, and it's a gift from God cannot be achieved under my own power, but only by His. And then it's through our Lord Jesus Christ that there's only one way to the Father, and it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's through the removal of all that is unclean, through the removal of all that is corrupt, so that I can stand before my holy, heavenly Father in holiness myself. And you too. That's the power of the cross. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here as we, we close, and it, it will fulfill what we said we'd find, what's needed for celebration. I think that everyone could use more celebration in their lives. and I put myself at the front of that line. I want to read to you a, a passage of Scripture from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll look at verses 3 through 5. It speaks about the resurrection and the result of the resurrection. and identifies what effect that should have on our lives. You'll see the effect in the beginning of verse 6. Verses 3 through 5 read like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to pause there. I think it's important that we see what God's done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what results in our new birth. That God, through Jesus, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's what comes from this new birth that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled, which will never fade away, and which is reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a deliverance ready to be revealed in the very end. And in the beginning of verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, or in this you greatly celebrate. I mean, it's, it's kind of wordy, and it can be hard to wrap your mind around. But if I were reading that and simply paraphrasing it to myself, it would simply say this. It would say, God's done something great. By your being born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you can now obtain an inheritance that will never pass away. It will never go away. And part of that inheritance is victory that will come, and the very end you win. No matter what it looks like, in the very end, you win. No matter what it feels like, in the very end, you win. No matter what you are aware of around you, in the very end, you win. Though the world will tell you it's all over, though the world will stack the deck against you, though all of these voices will scream and try to brand you a loser. Thanks be to God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, He has made me a winner. And in that, there's something to celebrate. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I know that God has great things for us. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in our hearts and in our minds, in each one of us. You know, there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit himself. And there's no one who desires to touch our lives more than our Heavenly Father. He longs to bring the things of his kingdom into our lives. I want to pray and I want to ask God to to increase our awareness of the things that were nailed to the cross I want to ask God to to increase our awareness of, of the result of the resurrection. And ultimately, I want to ask God to lead us into the full measure of celebration. That our identity would be founded upon the truth that in Jesus, we win. And can you imagine if that one element of truth is established in our hearts and minds, how much garbage is done away with? Inferior thoughts, thoughts of lack and loss, thoughts of being left behind, rejected and abandoned, all of these corrupt thoughts no longer holding the wheel of our mind. You could insert Jesus take the wheel joke here, I'd rather not. But I want to pray and I want to ask God to do this for us. Because I believe that God is at work in each one of us, bringing us closer to, to the things that lead to celebration, making those things reality in our lives. Those things have been established in each one of us. And as God purges out all of the distractions and all of the the misleading, uh, bad teaching and bad thoughts and, and learned behaviors that exist in our lives, we find the stability that his word promises when we stand upon his truth and his truth alone. I want to pray for you. You can be in a state of receiving or a state of agreement, however you choose. I want to pray and ask God to do this for us this morning. Father, we thank you for this resurrection day. A day in which we celebrate the truth that Jesus came out of the grave. That he was affirmed as your son, our Messiah. We confess it with our mouths and we believe it in our hearts that he's Lord, that he's king of kings, and that you raised him up from the dead. And we ask now in Jesus' name, will you do a work in in each one of us? According to our needs, a work that would reveal to us the truth, the things that have been done away with at the cross, that sin and all of its corruption and all of the curse and all of the sickness and disease that would result from it have all been nailed to the cross and done away with. Bring to our understanding who death is, that he is our enemy, and in the end, he'll be done away with and we win. Let there be a new awareness of all that has been done on our behalf through the empty tomb. That as Jesus would step out of the grave, he would step out of the grave to rule and reign forevermore. That he truly would be king eternal. And let our lives be given to seeking after the counsel of our king. That we would know and understand that in the end, the saints win. And let all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, and all of our emotions, let them be filtered through this truth. That there would be no corrupt thought that would be allowed to prevail in our minds. That would affect our choices and our decisions. But let us be led and let us be guided by the truth that you have done a work through Jesus that brings victory and absolute victory into every one of our lives. We bless your name and we thank you for the freedom from failure that you have led us in to the point of celebration, knowing that through Jesus, we win. We give you thanks and we rejoice in you. And as we receive this truth into our lives, let it have a powerful effect on us. Let it not only affect us, but let it affect those around us as they see our words and our actions be transformed by the revelation that we win. We bless you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen.